Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Mesh Tsunami podcast. Today, we're offering five conversations from episode 49, our wrap-up of the Liver Meeting 2023, plus from the vault, Laurent Costera's contribution to our Liver Meeting 2022 wrap-up. This conversation focuses on NITs, artificial intelligence, and bariatric surgery. It starts with me discussing a presentation by Stephen Harrison, sharing histo-index data from the Maestro and Nash trial for Resmeterol. Histo-index is proprietary methods produced results showing 34% improvement in the placebo group versus 54 in the treatment, far higher than the studies using the FDA guidelines. More interesting, Dean Ty from Histo-Index told me privately that this one-third placebo rate success rate holds fairly common across trials that Histo-Index analyzes using these methods. Given that bariatric surgery studies suggest a five-year gap from successful surgery to fibrosis regression, the one-year standard requested by FDA for conditional approval might lead us to understate drug efficacy for all MASH drugs. Laurent Castera shifts focus to bariatric surgery, discussing a study from Philippe Maturin's group in France that demonstrates among bariatric surgery patients, mass resolution and fibrosis regression lead to improved outcomes. At this point, the conversation shifts to NITs and the value of biomarkers improving that a drug is working. Laurent notes that no single marker is sufficiently reliable that will need a cluster of markers, and they may differ from drug to drug. He cites, for example, the impact of BMI on liver slightness as a confounder, whereas BMI is not a confounder for ELF or other tests. Scott Friedman asks about Hepquan as a possible NIT of value. Laurent has no experience, finds the idea conceptually appealing. Scott notes that slow rollout and low budget might be responsible for lack of market and academic interest today. As we wind down this conversation, Laurent focuses on a specific poster looking at a database of 16,000 patients over two years, showing that an increase in liver stiffness, Agile 3 or Agile 4 scores all correlate with major liver events or MOLOs. What the study does not address, and Laurent points up will be key to learn over time, is whether declines in these measures correlate with improved outcomes among the patients who decline. As I said in the introduction to this episode, one hour cannot do this conference justice. But this particular conversation hits highlights of one or two of the key issues in Navaldi or Navaldi presented today. So just sit back, listen, learn, feel, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Today's episode of Surfing the Mash Tsunami, reviewing the highlights of TLM 2023, has been sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. Madrigal Pharmaceuticals is a clinical-stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, NASH, a liver disease with high unmet medical need. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmeterum, is a liver-directed THR-beta agonist oral therapy that is designed to target key underlying causes of NASH. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com. So Scott, that's not a bad bridge into NITs, which may be where we go. But in fact, l- let's say let's do that, okay? Because one of my favorite presentations of the conference was, I think Stephen Harrison did this one. It was off the Meister Nash trial, and it was using AI, using Histo Index SGH, second generation harmonic convergence. And what it showed, first of all, is that the efficacy rate in placebo was about a third when you looked at it with some of the measures that they were creating. A third of what's reported by conventional? No, a third of patients. I see. But by that same measure, the efficacy in the, I don't remember exactly how they did this because it was late in the day. The efficacy in the test group was 54%. So it was still only a 20% spread, if you will, a slightly bigger spread. But first of all, if you learn to look at white space, which is what I was taught in statistics, it means that of the 66% of patients who were not spontaneously improving, about 40% of the, 40% more of those improved because of resmeterol as compared to the data 
data simply using uh, semi qualitative CR measures, where only about one seventh of the patients who weren't approving approved, number one. Number two, I talked to Dean Tai afterwards, and he said virtually every study they do when they use this kind of an analytic shows about a third of the population improves spontaneously. Now, that's one of the real complications here, right? You don't get a lot of spontaneous improvement in uh, hep C. So if you can clear the virus, you know over time that scar will clear, and you know that if you don't clear the virus, things aren't going to get better, whereas this drug's a lot more fluky. But I was intrigued by the idea that there were methodologies you could use that would... Uh, AI in this case, that would A, get consistent placebo reads across trials, and B, would uh, be able to be somewhat more sensitive in demonstrating who was approving. Because the criteria we're using to approve resmeterome is just how many people regressed one level in 12 months or 18 months, right? And, and we've learned over time that hepatitis can take, what, five years to regress? That's right. And bariatric surgery is similar. Yes. So I think it's just a tough standard, is all I'm saying. It might, might be better. We might look in five years and find the drugs did better than we thought. Just a thought. Laurent, when I think of NITs, I think of you. So right. let's go there. Laurent Castera. Maybe I can briefly touch upon bariatric surgery because there was a very interesting presentation by Guillaume Lassayer, the French guy from the group of Philippe Mathurin, on the long term. So this was a very large study spanning over more than 20 years huge court of biotic surgery candidates and uh, most of them underwent liver biopsy and a subset per liver biopsy and uh, they tried to correlate the improvement in histology mesh resolution and uh, with the long-term outcome to make a long story short they've shown a graph of course and it was pretty nice to see that if you had mesh resolution and regression of fibrosis of course you, you had a better outcome and quite similar to those who didn't have a mesh. So these are quite unique data. Actually, it's the same court that uh, Philip has published now twice in 2015 in gastro after one year and the five years follow-up in 2020. But uh, so this is the follow-up of the same court. But still, I think interesting data that would be published in a good journal. Scott Friedman. I agree. I, I, I've had enormous respect for Philippe and Guillaume. Uh, these data are the best around for sure. And they tell us something we'd hoped that was true is if you eliminate disease, you improve the outcomes. That's, after all, what the regulatory agencies are looking for. You know, the challenge, of course, is which surrogates, and that's your expertise, will give us a high degree of confidence that their improvement signals a likelihood and improved outcomes down the road. And that's really where the rubber meets the road now in terms of getting away from liver biopsy is can we have confidence that an improvement in a, a cluster or a single biomarker really will give us confidence the drug is working? No, I don't think you can rely on a single marker. I mean, you need a kind of a cluster of several, at least two or three unrelated marker going in the same direction for this to be a strong signal. Otherwise, you cannot trust or rely on a single marker, especially with some marker that are confounders. For instance, of course, liver stiffness is something that every everyone has in mind. But uh, in this population, we have IBMI. BMI is a major confounder. So when I mean unrelated marker, if you take ELF, for instance, BMI, or obesity is not a confounder for health as it is for liver stiffness. So if both are going the same direction, I think it's pretty reassuring that he, you're seeing something meaningful. Laurent, do you have any experience with the uh, HEPQUANT? You know, I've always been struck by how we are so dependent on histology and indirect measures when functional tests are so valuable to pulmonary fibrosis and biopsies are meaningless. And yet here we have no good functional tests. Right. Uh, no, I don't have any personal experience. 
I've seen this data that have been around for a while now, but no personal experience. Conceptually, does it appeal to you? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. But uh, not many independent validation or let's say external validation. So far, it's been around for a while and not really... Uh, no, no, no major breakthrough, actually. Yeah, well, they, you know, that has as much or more to do with the small scale that they've been operating on for too long. Um, I, I'm hopeful they'll turn the corner, but it has been very frustrating. They had what looked like and still may well be a very promising technology of a breath test to measure um, liver reserve or liver function. And, um, and they just rolled it out so slowly uh, that it's, you know, it's kind of people have lost interest to an extent, which is unfortunate. So, Scott, is I, I haven't paid a ton of attention to have Quant over the last couple of years. The original test I remember talking about years ago, um, it required, it was really tough test with me. Yeah, they, they, they've completely streamlined it now. Okay, so, so, so maybe to some degree they're still dealing with their own bad press. Yeah, well, you know, it's, when good things happen or bad things happen, it takes a while for the news to get around. And bad news travels faster than good news. So, um, you know, I spoke to the founder. I don't work with the company at all, but I spoke with the founder, Greg Everson, and they're, you know, moving along through the FDA. They have both a blood test and, may, and possibly even a non-invasive detection system to uh, streamline the test and make it more accessible so you don't have to breathe into a bag and mail the bag to Colorado. So I'd, I'd keep an eye on it only because it's the only one that is still viable as a functional test, apart from just, you know, looking at the INR and the PT, which we know is not good enough. So um, we'll see. Yeah. So, Laurent, uh, were there any of the NIT stu studies or presentations or any of the sessions? There, was a there were a bunch of sessions about NITs and a bunch of presentations. about. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Was there anything you found particularly of interest or helpful or not? Right. Uh, the, the one I really found interesting, actually, I have to say two things. First, uh, it, it was not presented surprisingly as oral, but as a poster. Uh, the, the second issue is I have quite a, a bias and a conflict of interest because I'm part of this study. But the reason I'm part of this study, it's a very large court of 16,000 people worldwide, huge court, of course, it's retrospective. And basically what they look at is uh, NIT and liver-related outcome. So there are already a lot of study in the literature, but most of them being single center or with a you know, small population. The follow-up is not very long. It's about two years. And the number of liver-related events, as usual in MASH as compared to HCV, is lower. But still, it's interesting. So they tested, of course, liver stiffness, but also these scores called Agile 3 plus and Agile 4. And they go, of course, in parallel with liver stiffness. But what they show is they could stratify nicely their population according to the value. And this was really well correlated with the likelihood of developing liver-related 
market event. Basically, you had a low-risk group, intermediate risk, and high-risk group. So these are, of course, to me, very interesting data. And of course, even more interesting would be to know whether the reverse is true. In other words, if you use these NITs as surrogate, and, and I mean, now I think the level of evidence is pretty good for the relationship between liver outcome in general, not only events, but mortality and let's say the so-called mallow, for instance, major uh, advanced liver outcome, and this NIT, especially liver stiffness. But the whole question is whether the reverse is true. In other words, if liver stiffness decreases over time, does it mean that number of liver-related events will decrease? And this we don't really know, actually. And, uh, this is what, of course, we would like to see. So I hope from this large database and series, we can get this information. But this was not true. So maybe in the forthcoming meeting, we should, we should get this data, which, of course, are very important because this is the first step. And uh, also like uh, a proof of concept that this, this works because we don't really know for the moment being. Today's episode of Surfing the Mash Tsunami Reviewing the highlights of TLM 2023 is sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. Madrigal Pharmaceuticals is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, NASH, a liver disease with high unmet medical need. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmeterum, is a liver-directed THR-beta agonist oral therapy that is designed to target key underlying causes of NASH. For more information, Visit www.madrigalpharma.com. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a topic still to be determined. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.